Hello and welcome to another Thursday episode of the 905 Roundup. My name is Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And uh, we have a, a, a bevy of stories from around the 905 and um, possibly further afield. We'll see how we're, we're doing. <laughs> um, and uh, starting off with, with a, a story that the, the TVO, um, TVO published, um, kind of pointing out that um, despite all the changes in the law and everything that's been done to help developers in, in recent months and years, um, housing numbers are kind of plummeting in Ontario right now um, in terms of new bills. Um, so what the hell is this about, Joel? I think, well, I think you pretty much summed it up right there. Like the, if you, well, well I'll post a link to the, the, the article in the show notes, uh, give credit where credit's due, but John, uh, John Michael McGrath of uh, TVO wrote a pretty good art analysis op-ed just uh, the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation um, released their season, seasonally adjusted monthly estimate of housing starts uh, for this year. And uh, basically 31%, we're seeing a, a drop of 31% in Ontario overall. Um, Toronto is down 52. We looked at the numbers ourselves looking for the more specific 905 numbers. The, the side of St. Catharines, Niagara, it's up 29, I believe. Uh, but uh, Hamilton's only up seven. Again, those aren't big. Th- those aren't those aren't life-saving numbers, there, folks. That that's not really a huge endorsement of this plan. I, I guess we it came down to, you know, we, we've been talking about Bill Twenty Three on this podcast quite a lot, mostly from the greenbelt angle and how it it was uh, carving up the greenbelt to open land up for development, and it did. But we're not, you know, that. There's, there wasn't a huge army of tr- of trucks and and uh, and bulldozers to go in there and start digging holes for foundations and getting homes and and whatnot done in there. The, Bill twenty three was supposed to be like you know putting the lead foot on the gas pedal of development in this province. It was going to release all the red tape. It was going to open up all the bureaucracy that was supposedly holding back development in this province and giving the developers a green light to go. And build, 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 and they are not, not, not. Um, it's a problem because we we we've had a, a friend of the podcast, Mike Moffat, on uh, some time ago to talk about the the housing crisis, and basically we we are in a, a demand or sorry a supply problem. The demand is there. Uh, but the supply is not, we're woefully behind in what we need to be at the moment, as well as what we're stat scan and, and, and trend lines are anticipating we're going to need uh, for the influx of people coming our way in the next uh, five to 10 years. Uh, where are we going to, you know, the, the, what Mike Moffat in the, in the article, Mike Moffat is quoted as saying, basically we need to build uh, uh, a new home detached house, condo, a rental, whatever it is. We need to build one uh, basically every minute for a decade to meet the uh, the federal targets that they've laid out. Provincial uh, targets are a bit more modest. But either way, I mean, that's a huge undertaking that we've laid out in front of us. And quite frankly, Bill 23 apparently does not seem to be cutting its, uh, holding its weight in terms of uh, activating that plan. Yeah. 
uh, it doesn't really surprise me. I mean, you should point out that these are these are the numbers that the uh, TVR article talks about. They were talking kind of about month on month numbers, and my initial reaction was like, "Well, you can't read a whole lot into month on month numbers." But when you actually when you look at the seasonally adjusted numbers, which take into account things like you know December is has all kinds of holidays and isn't necessarily the best month to start things, and you know, um, when you take all that into account. The, the numbers are actually clearer, and that is that Ontario is is, is not seeing any uptick in, in new housing starts. It's actually seeing a significant downtick, um, and that compares with, well, basically, it's pretty bad news right across Canada, um, but Ontario is among the worst, and the only, the only provinces that are seeing any kind of uptick in new housing builds is are Quebec, which has seen a 27% uptick, and Alberta, which has seen 5%, which is kind of neither here nor there in a smaller province. Um, so, yeah, um, just just talk about 905 numbers. Brantford is one of the ones that they that they detail, and Brantford has, has seen a 22% drop since last year. Um, you know... Uh, well, they, they don't have too many too many 905 cities uh, listed specifically. But they quote Toronto. They quote Toronto, and I'm going to going to assume that Toronto would incorporate include like Mississauga and Brampton, uh, and, and the periphery in there. And they're down 52 percent mm-hmm. uh, in the year. You know, the previous uh, year. This, I mean, this comes down to like. like just a, a failure of imagination in this. And this is something you and I have talked about many, many times on this podcast is that the, all that Bill 23 did, all the talk that this government has done about opening up for development hasn't been to put any pressure on the building aspect. It's been just basically allowing the profit margin to grow for developers based on cost. Now, the reason why we aren't seeing any new builds is because these developers are sitting on this land. They ha- they own the land. They own the land. The land has been approved. It's, it's ready to go. They're sitting on it because the market is not right. The, the, the market is not in their favor. They cannot maximize that profitability uh, right now in the market uh, with interest rates being at the are. I mean, we are, we're all seeing that at the grocery store. We all know the interest rates are just, they're hurting everyone, including us, and including those developers. The cost, the building cost of those of those houses, has gone up, and that therefore, also, uh, uh, mortgage rates have gone up, which means that people are not willing to take out bigger and bigger mortgages to buy their their mansions now in the sprawl, which means again that profit margin shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. These developers, as it is right now, the current status quo will sit on this land for the next four, five, ten years. 15 years until market forces allow that profit margin to widen to I think that they're waiting for it to return to what it was pre-COVID the, yeah, I mean, the, the heyday the, of development the, the, the Ontario government in, in its infinite stupidity uh, I was going to say wisdom, let's not even bother with that has, has gone about trying to fix a problem with entirely the wrong solution uh, the solution was never that that developers um, couldn't build; is that <laughs> it's that that they don't build uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, primarily, of being those being about making sure 
that you don't oversupply and bring prices down. Um, you know, it, this, is, this is a market thing where, where all the Ontario government has done is, is basically created a massive multi-billion dollar subsidy to the development industry that was already building as much as it wanted to build, which is actually, like you say, sitting on thousands and thousands and thousands of planning approvals, not, not applications, approvals. They've got everything they need to build and they don't build. And those approvals just sit there year after year doing nothing and they wait and they wait for the right moment. Uh, the right, right moment has nothing to do with demand. It has everything to do with getting the best possible price. Now, that's fine. Again, I'm not actually criticizing developers for doing what makes sense for their business. Um, it's down to the, to the uh, province to have a little bit of insight into that and, and to use its powers to put pressure on the, the development industry to build now and not down the road. Uh, and it could have done that, but of course it didn't because the developers wouldn't like that. Um, well, the, I mean, I think some, another, like if we're going to talk solutions to this, there are two, two where off the top of my head that I could think uh, the government could do. They won't, but they could. One is, and that's something that you've brought up many, many times, is uh, build the housing ourselves. Uh, through through socialized subsidized housing, um, going allowing the various municipalities, not just in the 905, but across Ontario, to build. Uh, you know, if they don't already have one, uh, to incorporate a housing corporation, a publicly owned, publicly subsidized housing corporation that could go in, buy up this land, buy up property, own it, develop it, rent it out uh, at at, at um, income adjusted rents. Uh, but the idea is just putting building and putting more housing on the market uh, at affordable rates at, at a not-for-profit rates. That's one. The second one is because we can't, we're, again, we're racing against the clock. We're trying to build uh, like one and a half million homes in 10, 10 years time. That's a huge, that's a huge goal to achieve folks. So we need to get like everything, every arrow in our quiver, it needs to be notched and, and ready to go. So the socialized housing is one. The second is, uh, I, I believe, like a vacancy tax. Uh, and by that, allowing municipalities to set a rate of maybe three to five times what a land is valued at. And if it is, if it is an unoccupied uh, unit, an, an unoccupied house or, or a condo unit or, or whatever have you, uh, you tax the landlord at five times the property value. If it's a vacant lot, same deal. If it's a lot that has been approved for development uh, and they're just sitting on it, waiting for the right time, we make the right time now because we tax them at five times that property tax and we do not release that property mm -hmm. tax until the last unit is sold. Uh, uh, and you may not even need to go that far. You could just expire the damn approvals. Um, the fact is that well, I'm also think I'm also thinking that a lot of these municipalities don't have any development fees anymore to take. Well, yeah, take um, I mean it, it's yeah, no, I, well, I you're, you're right, you're right. I think that would be, I think there's there's definitely things that could be done in that area um, that that would that would concentrate developers' minds, uh, but but certainly you know I, I can mention uh, just from my experience in in Burlington, I can think of. Two or three developments off the top of my head that that, that were approved a very long time ago. Um, one of them uh, came up for council 
maybe three, two or three years ago, um, because it had been the the uh, the the, um, uh, the staff in the in the uh, planning department had been kind of, you know, each time the developer asked, they just extended the approval and said, yeah, no worries, no worries. And and after the change of council in 2018, um, uh, one of the councillors, I believe it was, I could be speaking out of turn here, but I believe it was, well, I don't know who it was, so I'm going to not say, but basically people woke up and said, hang on a minute, we don't have to be renewing this approval um, and just waiving all these fees uh, that we could be asking this developer to give. Of course, all, you know, all hell broke loose. Uh, at that point, I mean, uh, well, sort of but here's out, the but... thing: the developer, the Bill Twenty Three, got rid of all those development charges that were going into uh, city coffers. That's off the table now. Maybe this is, I mean, hint, hint. If you're a a city councilor and you're listening to this podcast, that might be a good tool to have to just at least get some money into the public coffers. If you just start when these things come up for uh, when you think when these when these approvals expire. I mean, I mean, the, the 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 shame of it is, I mean, there are still development fees; they're just much less. Um, right, it's been reduced greatly, and the timelines have been shortened. And the last thing that, that that any planning department wants to do is repeat work that they've already done. So they're they're inclined to say, "Yeah, just have your renewal. Just leave me alone. Uh, we, do, you know, we're busy enough already. Um, just just renew your 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 uh, your approval." Um, but absolutely the way it should go is like, okay, well, you didn't build. You said you were going to build. You didn't build. Um, and also, um, and again, I could point to individual developments. Uh, there's a certain development in Burlington that is very well known where the, the developer went back on their word uh, to build um, various healthcare-related um, uh, elements into a building. None of that was built. Um, the building took way too long to, to develop. You know, things did not happen that, that were promised. For some reason, the city is not allowed to then say, like, hey, you guys, when you come and get your next, uh, ask for your next approval, we're going to hold you to account for what you did the last time. Um, they're not allowed, as I, as I understand it, they're really not allowed to kind of do that. And it's like, well, why the hell not? They were messed around by Company X, who shall remain nameless. Um, uh, but I know that Company X had a whole bunch of other uh, developments that it was having built. Um, it's like, oh, you can just, you know, you lied, basically. Um, uh, we're not allowed to, to, to make you pay for that. Um, so, well, I mean, it's all part of the mess of, of development in Ontario. But, I mean, you know, there are all kinds of ways to, to, to focus developers' minds on, on actually building. But, and but again, again, thinking of Burlington, you know, the, uh, the new hotel opened a couple of years ago. That was approved in the, ni- in the mid-1990s. Right. It's finally... Yeah built and completed just in the last few years during COVID. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's the thing is like, we, this bill 23 was supposed, the, the idea was, and again, and we're, we're having to, I think we were even touching upon the federal scene with, you know, Pierre Poilier saying, Oh, the gatekeepers are, are prohibiting uh, uh, development being, uh, being built across Canada. Again, this isn't a, a 905 centric problem. This is, nationwide but that we've just identified this has nothing to do with municipal or provincial planning the, the ontario government has just uh proven that they 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 bill 23 supposedly took all all the restraints off it was it was put the hammer down on the pedal and we're going to build 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 all the development that we need and this is not the case 
the the gatekeeper are the developers. And again, I'm not, I'm, I can't fault them because the current system says, well, no, it doesn't make sense for them to maximize the profits right now. Yeah, their profits aren't, they're not going to be as well as they were uh, uh, before. Um, well, and there was this myth on both sides of the political debate, oh, typical debate, both on the right and the left, that, you know, what was stopping development were these bloody NIMBYs who, who just right, stood right, in the right. way of everything. And really, you know, I've asked people over the years, it's like, show me the development that was stopped by, by your NIMBYs. Show me. Uh, right. They may have kicked up a fuss. They may have come down to council. They may have shouted and screamed about some development they didn't like. It, it happens. See it all the time. People object to all kinds of things. That's their right. Show me where it actually worked and stopped development, and yeah. I'll, 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 you know, I'll set up and listen. Fact is, never, certainly not. Again, in Burlington, had this whole NIMBY revolution, so called. Show me what development stopped as a result of it. Nothing. Uh, I can't think of one. But here's um, what, here's like this is something you know I've talked with you about kind of offline. I've I was that like the urgency to build is it, it, I think we need a reshape of the entire development portfolio and here's how i would rephrase it every city is able to fill in that middle density right now it's pretty much you either have sprawl or high rises those are your two options as it pretty much is laid out in our development plans in this province i think we need you and i have talked we need that middle density we need that that a variety of options uh, eight story buildings single homes you can have the condo towers everything in between tell the cities design a plan where you allow that middle density to to build, to hit the targets that the province hands down, a lot of the Places to Grow Act, city has a ch- has one year to come up with that plan. That plan is approved. It's approved by the minister. That's the plan on the record. Do away with the, L, uh, the OLT. If a, if a developer brings in a proposal to develop something in the city within that allotted plan, it is automatically approved. There is no if, answer, but. There is no going to council. There's no, there's no, no town hall, whatever. If they meet the plan, the agreed to plan by that city, it is automatically approved. If that developer says, well, I want to build bigger, taller, higher, gold-plated everything, whatever, fine. You go to council and you plead your case. Council that's, has that's the final say. But that's that's how it works now. That's... That's the system as it is uh, envisaged now. Like there is as of right development, anything in an official plan, anything yeah, within but, the, but the thing, fact is that nothing ever was within the official plan. But the problem is the official plan. Everything is appealed. But the problem is, well, that's the thing is we don't allow the appeal. But the other thing is the official plan either only allows for sprawl. So you're building constant single detached homes or you're building 60 story condo towers to fill the targets yeah. and that's where you need to allow the middle density therefore a new plan that and allows give, that middle density you know to, to give yeah. to give Doug Ford to give the, the, the province some credit where it's due there is amongst all the other stuff that's happened basically taking to basically re you know for the last 20 years successive governments have tried to stop sprawl um including the, the pcs in their first term um, and now they've thrown that all out of the window and it's just 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 build everywhere we don't care yeah um but um but there is within within um the latest uh, legislation uh, stuff that 
that does do positive things with regard to that that middle density but again the irony is that that that's going to take a while to come through because it's going to be much more piecemeal um and the the big developers aren't interested in it they don't want to be building a five-story uh, apartment block they want to be building a 40-story uh, condo built block or they want to be sp- sprawling in greenfield so yeah, there was actually some positive stuff there. It's got been been buried under all the stuff, all the stuff about the green belt and all the other uh, outrageous attacks on everything. Um, but th- but there are some positive things there. And but it's going to depend on small uh, and independent, you know, people who own a small plot of land who want to, uh, you know, uh, rather than putting up a McMansion, uh, put up a a, a a small apartment building. But that stuff takes um, that stuff takes time, um, um, uh, and the, it's the headline stuff that the you know that this is a small print in in the legislation compared with 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 the other stuff that's meant to be, you know meant to allow the developers to just build build build. Well, let's take a pause on that and uh, come back for our next uh, our next bit. And we're back. Uh, so we talked about development as a, as per usual on this podcast. Uh, but we do want to follow up on a story that we we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, which made all the headlines in in the province. And that was our, well, not our, our story, but the, the letter that Kate Graham, who we had on a few weeks ago, uh, wrote to Mike Schreiner, basically asking him to quit his job as the Green Party leader and run for the Ontario Liberal Party to become their leader uh, for the next foreseeable future. Um, we were all waiting with bated breath as Mike hemmed and hummed and wrung his hands and talked to people and, and asked away and made his, sat away to made his decision. He finally made his decision and he released his statement basically saying, no, thanks. I'm, I'm okay where I am. I, yeah. I, I'm surprised it took this long. Uh, I'm, I'm very surprised. Um, suggest he thought about it um, and maybe thought about it long enough to uh, sound out uh, liberal members uh, to see who would be willing to support him. And I guess the answer came back, not enough. Um, What do we think about this this story now? A few weeks later, I mean, it's it's, it's not one. It's not one that that, that my shrine took so long to reply. Um, I think it speaks to how small the Green Party of Ontario is uh, that he could do that. Um, uh, yeah, no disrespect to the Green Party of Ontario, but it kind of is Mike Schreiner to to, to a degree, you know, to a significant degree. Um, uh, you know, I can't think of a situation in which a leader of another party would be able to just sort of sit and twiddle their thumbs and have a good old think about something like that for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, like I say, he must have been spending the time doing something other than speaking to his family. Um, and well, I suspect we- it would be um, sounding out people to see how how much support he had, and and, and that the answer uh, was I- not enough. I, I don't think he actually did any homework on this at all. If I was Mike Schreiner, I'm like, I know what my decision is, but I'll let them sit on it. 
like like I my I don't I I I might bet as Mike Schreier as soon as he heard they got the offer he said no I'm not leaving, but what do you do? Well, just I'll let it sit and stew on it. Here, here's the thing, and this is why Mike Schreier is actually a pretty smart guy and he's a smart politician in my book for this. So he sits on the on his opinion, and he says I'm think I'm talking it over. I'm, I'll think it. Over. I'll give it a good. I'll get honest uh, a thought over it. Um, what happens? All those liberals that like look at what happened afterwards that letter came out. The Liberal Party just started it was infighting all, all over again. All longstanding liberals, uh, former MPPs, current leadership contestants, uh, former staffers, former volunteers, former fundraisers, all were coming out saying. This is a horrible idea. Who are these guys to invite Mike Schreier to lead us? We need to rebuild. We need this. And it was just a panicked flurry of emotion from the Ontario Liberal Party. If I was Mike Schreier, I would have just sat back and watched it. You're like, who knows? Maybe, maybe you have the third party in the Ontario legislature tear itself apart even more, do more damage to itself uh, in the meantime. And he just sits on his hands cracks open a beer, watches the show, and he comes back, you know, how how long has it been since, you know, a couple of weeks since that letter? And he comes back and says, yeah, I'm, just, I'm content where I am. Right? Yeah, what do you have? So, mean, you have uh, so you have... Maybe. You have I, I, don't, I don't actually think that's what he's done. Um, I think that's what's I, happened, though. Uh, I think he, it's he, already yesterday's chip papers, really, but um, uh, I... I, I do think that this 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 event was very divisive uh, amongst mm-hmm. you know former allies in the party. Uh, there were people. I don't think I, it's well established. Let's put it that way. Uh, that that there, there were people within the OLP who were extremely put out by this, um, by the way that this was done, and I, I. Th- I think it was unwise ultimately. And, and I, I think Kate Graham maybe came to feel it was unwise. She kind of apologized on her podcast. I, I, I was going to say, I was going to say, like, I kind of, as we're, as Why the would you do that if it wasn't, if it was a great idea, you know? Well, I can't, I can't, I, I'm, I don't want to put words in her mouth. No. But I can't, like, I'm going to invite, I'm going to invite our listeners, go back, re listen to that episode if you haven't already. That's a very good way to put it, Joe. Uh, <laughs> Go back and but, listen again. Did but, she apologize? Did she not? I, I don't know if it's a, an apology, but I kind of get the sense that there's a bit of a of regret, you know, that I wasn't anticipating this to be the response that we were going to get when we put this out there. Because um, like it, the the it, there was not there was no not a a huge consensus of like. Oh, this is an interesting out there idea. Let's 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 entertain this for a little bit. From longstanding liberals, many liberal leadership contestants, we were seeing like um, uh, uh, Nate Erskine Smith. I, I know put out a, a tweet immediately, just saying like, "No, we're going to fix the party ourselves. Uh, we need to rebuild ourselves. We don't need an outsider to come in and do it for us." That sentiment was kind of going around a lot of liberals. Like there's there's. Well, I mean, but we have to say, I mean, the names on that list were, were impressive. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? it was like De- Deb, no Deb one, Matthews, Greg Sabrero. Other uh, than the Premier, no one was bigger 
under the previous government than than than, than Dan Matthews. Greg right. Sabara is like a you know a titan of the party. Yeah. Uh, whether you think he's he's overstayed his welcome is another story. That the man built Dalton McGuinty's government. Um, you know, whatever success they had during the first decade of the 21st century is in large part down to Greg Sabara. Um, Pat Sabara, no relation, I believe. Uh, no. uh, also very, very, very well known within the party. Uh, you know, um, they were big, big names. And, and you know, Kate Graham's kept taking the, the flack for this. It's like Kate Graham put an idea out there and maybe the wiser heads should have prevailed and said, well, you know what, maybe we don't want to be sticking our name on this. We, we do this yeah. the old school way. Um, we have these conversations quietly and out of the, the media spotlight. Um, and I think maybe that's what should have happened. I, you know, uh, I think it, this will blow over. It's done now. I don't it, think it's, it, I mean, will, it, it, it will blow, it will blow over. And I, but it has done something that I didn't anticipate. Um, it, it's renewed focus on the Ontario Liberal leadership race. Yeah, uh, earlier than, than anticipated. Yeah, and with anticipated. more kind of interest like, than anticipated. I, I'm, I'm, well, that, like it, for, it forced us, like you and I have been approached by a number of uh, uh, leadership contestants to say, hey, can we come on the podcast to talk? And we've, we've said... No, not until like, the rules are officially established and we actually know like, we have actual people officially declaring, not just rumors. When that happens, we might, we might do a couple episodes on, on the leadership race there. That being said, it, this forced our hand to say, well, we got to talk about this. this is tearing up the, the news politically. It put the Ontario liberal leadership race back on the map, in my opinion. It's something that if you're in, in interested in politics, you're now talking again about who might take over uh, the reins at, in, on the Ontario Liberal Party and would they have the, 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 the strategic know-how and the, the, fort the fortitude to rebuild that party and go after Doug Ford. I bring this up because if I were Merritt Stiles in the NDP, I'd be a little on, my, on the edge of my seat now because the NDP said, no, we're not going to go with the leadership race. We're not going to go and have that debate of ideas. We're now going to go and just coronate you like the queen and, and put you on the seat of power. Leadership races matter and they matter because they, they get you in front of the crowd. They get you in front of uh, the, uh, an audience. The liberal party needs to re-energize. They need to get new ideas and new, and new people in there. This might do it. It might not. And if it might blow up in our all of our faces and this could be the death knell of the Liberal Party. It could be, but, but it could have the opposite. It could start a it could start a fire with new names, new blood, new ideas coming in, new supporters, new sources of fundraising, all that stuff, which is great for a party. And if I was the NDP, I'd be a little nervous uh, because nobody's paying attention to the NDP these days. And for it being the opposition, that that's alarming. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I suspect we know who's going to run. I mean, the names are being rumored. Yeah. Whether they all end up running, uh, I don't know. I, mean, I think we can assume that. Uh, I mean, these these names are probably not that familiar to the to the general public, but they'll be familiar to the membership, uh, such as it is. <laughs> uh, you know, 
Yasanak Fee was a very well liked former party president. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we can assume he's probably going to run. He's you know he's doing fundraising some things at the moment. Uh, Mitzi Hunter, if she doesn't run for mayor of Toronto, uh, is someone that's just perennially talked about. Uh, uh, Nate Erskine Smith. I don't know much about him because I tune out federal politics so much, but obviously has well, made quite a quite a, uh, he, a he, name he for himself. Of, he kind of well, he's made a name for himself as being the outsider and kind of a rebel, uh, and he's gone kind of at odds with the Trudeau government, which I think that's an interesting. Uh, interesting line on your resume to put on for a, a leader of the provincial liberals, uh, to say the least. Yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe. But there's also uh, Je- Jeff Lehman uh, up in Barrie has been touted as a potential, he was a former candidate. Uh, and Ted, uh, Ted Sue uh, out in Kingston is, uh, is talked about running. So, I mean, there's, there's, if all or some of those people do throw their hat in the ring and make a run for it. It's going to garner a lot more attention, especially coming off this letter. Uh, you know, there's going, to, there's going to be attention on these individuals uh, to what, how they're going to rebuild the party. And I would say, I mean, whatever you, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're, 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 um, yes, the is like the real deal. Missy Hunter is the real deal. Nate Erskine Smith is the real deal. These these are people who are capable of running a, a leadership campaign and actually, um, you know, being of interest um, mm. and, and stealing some headlines and saying some interesting things. You know, um, so um, uh, I would say, well, I, I don't really know Nate Erskine Smith. I have to say, I mean, become familiar with him. I'm sure if he if he chooses to run, um, but you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it it does come back to the thing of, of the NDP kind of giving up an opportunity to steal a bunch of headlines. Um, and, and, you know, I was pretty critical. I mean, nothing that I've tweeted recent, in recent months has got anything like the the number of retweets that a comment I made of like, what the hell are you guys doing on the weekend that the, the story came out about, you know, stag and doe. <laughs> yeah. Um, whether spelt D-O-E or D-O-U-G-H. Um, what the hell are you guys doing when you know your last comment was on Friday? It's now Monday lunchtime, and you haven't said diddly squat since. And there were a few. There was, you know, it was a press release. Was like, oh, well, God, appara- apparently, Merritt Styles has filed uh, a report, a request with the Integrity Commissioner to look into what happened there. And it's all that's all well and good, but really, you're going to wait until the Integrity Commissioner, who in my mind is highly compromised on this subject on this topic to begin with, is going to come out with a report. Like no, you make you make you 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 make it work now. Like you you put it to the, in front of every reporter that you can. You you like my god, like I, just how how is this? You don't you don't wait for the report of an integrity commissioner whose first reaction was, oh no, everything's fine, everything's right. fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think he said you're cleared one thousand percent because he's not that much of a moron. Only morons say one thousand <laughs> percent, but. But nevertheless, he did say, oh, no, well, if you say it's fine, it's fine, which is basically all he can do. Right. So we don't really have much faith in that system to, to produce any. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter if there's a criminality wrong here or not. It's politics. It's the appearance of this is not right. He was getting envelopes of cash from developers in the backyard. Like, why is everybody not 
treating this like the opening scene of The Godfather. I have said this a million times. Why is this every politician not calling him Ford Corleone right now? Like why? Why? Like I just I don't. This is this is as we said earlier. This is mana from heaven. If you're in politics, if you're in the oh, opposition, it's, it's an absolute and, gift from the gods. And you're, and you're sitting there going, "Oh no, yeah. we have to wait for the integrity commissioner to do a due like." No, we know exactly what happened. We know exactly what Boris happened. Boris here. Johnson was brought down by a couple of parties. No money changed hands. He just had parties yes. in a, in a hypocritical, idiotic way that was typical of Johnson. That brought him down because the press didn't let go. The opposition didn't let go. They went on and on and on. They called the police in. They did. But they, they went on and on and on and on about it. This isn't even getting on the front page of the star a day after it came out. Uh, hey, partly I, because I, of the bloody John Tory story. You know what? But, but I, partly I, because... We've, said it, we've, had, we've read it on Merit Styles onto this podcast before. I, the, and the offer is still there. If you want to come on and tell us what you know or what you're concerned about with this Steg and Doe party, you ha- we will give you half an hour. You oh. have a half hour on this podcast to talk it out and we will ask you the questions that everyone is concerned about. You know, you've got it, you've got a platform right here. The offer has been standing for two weeks now. We've put out the put the invite out to your office. If you're listening or somebody in the NDP is listening, the offer is still the offer will be open forever. You're yeah, always we, welcome we, on this podcast. And we had the former leader of the Ontario Liberals came on. We had the leader of the Greens. PCs never speak to us. I don't see any reason why the NDP shouldn't come on. Um, it's like you're not scared like a conservative, are you? NDP, come on. <laughs> I mean, it's like we will give, and I promise this to the conservatives too. We will give anybody who comes into the show a fair crack at having yes. their say. And yeah, we'll, we'll we'll ask questions and we'll challenge it, but it will be done fairly uh, with everybody. And you know, clearly, we are a progressive podcast, and we've said it again and again. We just want the progressives to do well. Uh, we are not aligned with any party. Um, um, but, you know, if you think we're talking garbage by saying you're not doing something, you, you know, or we're not giving you credit for things that you are doing, come on and tell us, tell us, point out the error of our ways, for goodness sake. Um, and, and, you know, there are few enough avenues. It's, it's very difficult, even at a provincial level, to get in the media why would you not take advantage of the media that's out there that that, that will give you yeah. like 30 minutes of airtime? Nobody's uh, going to give you 30 minutes. No one. Yeah. At the best, you'll get 30 seconds. We'll give you half an hour. So don't like just take up the offer like that. I, I, it, I don't know. Or don't. I, I, it, it doesn't stress. It doesn't stress us out. Uh, at all well, come on and call us jackasses for half an hour that would, oh fuck i'll be, i'll drink fun. to that yeah I, I, it would be richly deserved i'm sure but uh, oh tell us call us every day i'm sure people book. would tune in to listen <laughs> oh i would i would love to hear yeah i would love to hear that all right i think on that we should uh on that cheery note and that cheerful invite let's call it a call it a, a day on this one thanks very much everyone for listening and we'll see you uh next tuesday bye-bye Quite. 
that's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell Network or on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts because, because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. do.